Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Inside Health Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Keyes. If I told you that there is a fairly simple procedure out there that only takes about an hour to complete and could drastically help an estimated 6 million Americans, what would you say? I think most of you would probably say, well, what is it? And for those affected by non-valvular atrial fibrillation, would even be more inquisitive on how to sign up for it. So what is the device? How can it help? And who can it help? Well, today, with the help of our very special guest and cardiac electrophysiologist, Dr. Thomas Mead, we hope to answer those questions and more. Dr. Mead has been practicing medicine for almost 30 years. After starting in internal medicine, he chose cardiology because he is fascinated by the inner electrical workings of the heart. In his years of experience, he has done hundreds of procedures and changed many lives. His goal as a physician is always to provide the best care for each and every patient. Dr. Mead, thank you for joining us today, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Nice to be here. Now, I always like to start off with a little bit of an icebreaker and and something more light. So my first question for you is, how did the field of cardiovascular electrophysiology discover that a shock to the heart could actually save someone's life? I mean, if you really kind of think about it, how was this even discovered, let alone tested, you know, I've always wondered who was the poor soul that got that first shock to find out that it would be successful. Yes, well, years ago, they began to understand that the contraction of the heart is based on electrical activity. All of our muscles in our body contract based on electrical activity. Our hands, our arms, uh, most of our body is directly controlled by the central nervous system. The heart contracts with electrical activity, which initiates the contraction and atrial fibrillation is a rhythm where the uh, contraction is irregular. So someone had the idea, maybe we could shock it to reset the heart and get it back into rhythm. So it was many years ago, and they were brave souls back then. <laughs> I got to say, I don't think that I would have said, yeah, just go ahead and, and shock me, and, and we'll see what happens, right? <laughs> Very brave soul to say, sign me up. You're right, yeah. All right, well, thank you again for joining us, and uh, let's dive in, shall we? Yes. All right. So I think starting pretty basic on this topic is probably, you know, really important. So, you know, I, I mentioned in the, in the intro, non-valvular atrial fibrillation, you know, what is atrial fibrillation and is there a difference between non-valvular and maybe just standard AFib? Uh, most patients have atrial fibrillation. The valvular atrial fibrillation are people with significant valvular disease, such as mitral stenosis. And so, the vast majority of the people have non-valvular atrial fibrillation. That term can be a little bit confusing. Atrial fibrillation is an irregular heart rhythm. Atrial refers to the upper chambers of the heart. Fibrillation refers to the fact that it's not an organized contraction. So the upper chambers are fibrillating or quivering. In normal rhythm, I think of the upper chambers as prime in the pump. To review for a second, your heart is a pump about the size of your fist, sits to the center, just left of center of your chest, and has four chambers, four check valves, and a piping system and electrical control system. Normally, the upper chambers I think of as priming the pump. So they beat and relax, and then the lower chambers, the ventricles, beat and relax. And it goes on in that manner. In atrial fibrillation, and it all works by electrical impulses. So normally the electrical impulse spreads through the atrium, causes them to contract, then goes through a timing mechanism in the center of the heart, 
speeds up and has the ventricles contract in an organized, synchronized fashion. With atrial fibrillation, the electrical impulse is not organized. It's actually an organized impulse about four to 500 times a minute, but the heart cannot beat in an organized fashion that fast. So it's just quivering there. So I know you, you mentioned that, you know, the heart kind of quivers or it flutters and could you kind of describe maybe, is that something that people could feel so that they're aware that they might have, or would need to talk to a cardiologist about about possibly having AFib? Most people do feel their atrial fibrillation, but not all. Common symptoms of atrial fibrillation, the most common is the feeling of your heart racing or palpitations, feeling these either rapid heartbeats or hard heartbeats and this irregularity. People feel that irregularity. Some people do not feel the atrial fibrillation, but they do feel fatigued or short of breath or just feeling that something's off or I just can't do what I could do before. Right. There are a small subset who are completely asymptomatic and are completely unaware that they're in atrial fibrillation. Got it. Now, I've read that, you know, stroke is is highly correlated and can even cause, and I think you kind of mentioned that stroke is a, a really big risk factor. So, you know, my, my question was, is, is there any truth to that? And I think you're kind of alluding to that. And But I guess more so is how high is, the, how high is that as a risk factor for, for this? Yeah. So stroke is definitely a risk of atrial fibrillation and one of the devastating consequences of untreated atrial fibrillation. We have a scoring system to try and estimate the annual risk of stroke, and we call it the CHADS-FAST system. But what that means is that there are certain other diseases that in addition to atrial fibrillation will pre- increase your risk of stroke. And what are these conditions? Congestive heart failure, high blood pressure, hypertension, age greater than 65 or 75, diabetes, previous history of stroke or trans ischemic attack, female sex is a risk factor, and um, vascular disease such as coronary artery disease or peripheral vascular disease. These conditions all increase your risk of stroke with atrial fibrillation. So depending on how many of these risk factors you have, large studies have determined an annual risk of stroke, which can be as low as zero with no risk factors or as high as 15% per year with all of the risk factors. Normally it's you know in between there because most people have some risk factors, but most people don't have all the risk factors. Right. But as you can see, the annual risk of stroke can be quite high. And so untreated atrial fibrillation significantly increases that risk. Yeah. So what is the reason for such a high correlation between stroke and AFib? There are two reasons. The main reason is that there's not good, consistent blood flow going through the atria. And when there's not good, consistent blood flow, you can have static flow. And when that static flow, the blood can um, coagulate and form clots in these areas. Blood likes to keep moving. If it stops moving, it is prone to coagulating, which just means that it can form blood clots. Atrial fibrillation does cause some changes in your body systemically that also predispose you to blood clots, which are being um, studied extensively at this time. But I like to think of it as stagnant blood flow. Blood likes to keep moving. If it's stagnant, then it predisposes it to forming clots. And the atrial fibrillation is not an organized rhythm, so you're not getting that good organized contraction that you would in regular rhythm or what we call normal sinus rhythm. 
Right. Well, another thing I, I wanted to talk about was, you know, I mentioned in the intro that approximately six million Americans are affected by, by atrial fibrillation. So, you know, w- what are the treatments? What are they, what are the common treatments or at least the most common one now? So when someone comes to me with atrial fibrillation, we have a discussion and we talk about two issues primarily. One is, do we want to try and keep them in regular rhythm? And the two is, what do we do to prevent stroke? So for stroke prevention, we look at the scoring systems that we discussed and we determine what is their annual risk of stroke and how can we prevent that? The vast majority of the people will be treated with anticoagulant medication. So these are medications. In the past, it was warfarin or Coumadin, but now we've changed to the direct oral anticoagulants, medications like Eliquis and Xarelto and Pradaxa. And we try to prevent blood clots forming by, in essence, thinning the blood, using these medications to inhibit the clotting mechanism so the blood does not clot. After we, um, we usually start them on an anticoagulant or a blood thinner, and then we discuss efforts to try to get them into regular rhythm or whether they should stay in atrial fibrillation. So things we can do to try to keep them in regular rhythm, we can shock their heart back into regular rhythm. We can give them medicines to try and keep them in regular rhythm. And more and more, we're performing ablations to try and modify that substrate in the left atrium to see if we can interrupt that uh, abnormal conduction to get into a more organized fashion to regular rhythm. Right. Well, <clears throat> I know that we talked about in the intro a, a, a device that could possibly help a lot of people with this. So, you know, this next question is prefaced by the successful implant of the Watchman FLX device performed by both yourself and Dr. Rodney Horton on July 14th of this year, so t- 2021. So this, of course, being the first of many for St. Joseph Health Regional Hospital. So, Dr. Mead, what is the Watchman FLX device, and how can it help with atrial fibrillation? The Watchman FLX device, or Watchman Flex device, is a nitinol structure covered with fabric that has some anchors that we place in the left atrial appendage, that pouch-like structure, to prevent blood clots forming in that structure. 90% or more of the blood clots that cause stroke form in the left atrial appendage. So the idea is if we can close the opening of the appendage, then we can prevent those blood clots from forming and getting out to the rest of the body. So we place this through the groin and place it in the opening of the left atrial appendage. And then over about a six-week period, tissue grows over that fabric and covers that area. So it's smooth and prevents blood clots from forming in those areas. That's amazing. That's that's just that is mind blowing to me that you guys could go in from the growing and put something in someone's heart. I mean, just that alone. But then, of course, you know how amazing it is that it could prevent blood clots from forming in that area. So that's 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 really phenomenal. That's really cool to to hear that. You know, which hospitals and I guess which doctors are able to perform this surgery in the Brazos Valley right now? So the only hospital that the procedure is being performed currently is St. Joseph Regional Health Center in Bryan, Texas. Myself, Dr. Zoltan Toth, and Dr. Rodney Horton are currently implanting these devices. That's that's great. So I know you said, I know we talked about that the first one was back in, in July, but here we are now in September. So have we done any more since then? Yes, we've done a total of 14 devices since then. Wow. 
you guys are moving along. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, so the uh, community has been very supportive. The hospital administration have been very supportive. I feel like we have an excellent team and we have a good process. Yeah. Well, I want to talk a little bit about the surgery itself. You know, I know you mentioned you kind of go through the groin, you, you implant it in the heart. Uh, how long does something like that take? The procedure takes approximately one hour. We have a cardiac anesthesiologist, Dr. Corey Burrow, who performs a transesophageal echocardiogram to help guide us, a special echocardiogram that goes in the esophagus. It's performed under general anesthesia. Then we go into the groin, and with x-ray guidance and the echocardiograph or ultrasound guidance, we go in and take some pictures, take some measurements, size the device, and deploy the device in the left atrial appendage. Wow. So is this something that's inpatient, outpatient? And, you know, I guess, what is the, what is the atrial fibrillation prognosis look like afterwards? So the Watchman Flex device is used to prevent stroke. So it doesn't affect whether you're in atrial fibrillation or not. And the goal is to place it in people who, for various reasons, cannot take anticoagulation. So the procedure can be formed either as an inpatient or outpatient procedure. All patients come in the morning of the procedure, and based on how they're doing and where they live and what support they have, their other medical conditions, we can either send them home the same day or keep them overnight to make sure they do well and send them home the following day. That's I mean, again, that's amazing, right? Uh, we talked before about just the procedure itself, but I mean, to be able to send someone home is, is, is the same day or, or even the next day for that matter, we're talking about heart surgery, is, is really cool. So what does the recovery time, though, uh, once, what does it look like once someone has had the procedure or, or how quickly can they start doing like normal activities or even things like moderate exercise? So the recovery is related to our access in the femoral vein in the groin. Fortunately, we're in the vein, so it's low pressure. It's not the artery. And we tell people no heavy lifting for five days after the procedure. Our instructions to patients are not to lift anything more than 10 pounds for five days. The following day, you can walk, you can drive, you can go to the store, just no heavy lifting for five days. No aerobic activity, no working in your yard or on your ranch, things such as that. So I could finally tell my kids, I'm sorry, I can't pick you up today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes we do. In your case, we might recommend that you, um, in those five days, do a lot of cooking and cleaning and maybe vacuuming. <laughs> ah, that's right. I'll have to let my wife know that after that I'll have, yeah. I'll be in charge yeah, I of I think you'll probably edit that part out. Right? <laughs> no, I'll leave it in. That's funny. Um, well, you know, I kind of asked a little bit about uh, kind of, I guess, the establishment of it. I asked how many of you guys done? You've done 14 since in, in a couple of months here. Uh, but how established is the surgery, I guess, worldwide? Or I guess, how many Watchman devices have been implanted uh, successfully? About 150,000 patients have been, been implanted with the uh, Watchman device worldwide, uh, both in um, Europe, the United States, Asia, and other countries. So it's it's a well-established surgery. And, and uh not very invasive and something that seems that, you know, if this could, uh, if you're the right patient for it, it seems like it could be very helpful. So that's cool. Well, you know, I always like to finish off, uh, you know, the way we started with something a little bit more fun. And I saw this on the internet the other day, and I think it's a fun question to ask all these amazing doctors that I get to meet in this line of work. You know, if your childhood dreams had come true, what would your profession be? So actually, Kevin, my childhood dreams have come true. And I'm very happy to be performing 
the work that I do and helping the people as I do. So I feel very blessed, very fortunate with my life. I have a beautiful family and I get to do the things I love to do and try to help people. So in cardiac electrophysiology is very fulfilling. I say that it's hard to have a fulfilling job without having challenges in your job. So we deal with sick people. Every once in a while, things will go not the way we want them to go. And that makes us very sad. But I'm very happy that I'm able to use the talents that uh, God has given me to do the work I love and try my best every morning to get up and help people. I feel cardiac electrophysiology um, is the right career for me because my mind works in sort of an engineering way and I like mechanical things and electrical things and so I get combined my knowledge of mechanical and electrical science and try and help patients every day so I'm in the profession if I had to do all over again I would do it almost exactly as I've done it yeah yeah I was thinking about that you know I was like man and I'll Cardioelectrical physiologist means he's a plumber, he's an electrical engineer, um, he's a mechanical engineer. There's a lot that goes into that. So, uh, no, that's really great. Well, Dr. Mead, thank you so much for taking the time to do this today with us. And, um, you know, I think this will be super helpful, as I know AFib is, is, is very common uh, heart condition uh, for a lot of people. Uh, before we go, though, is there anything else that you'd like to say? So people often ask me, what patients are good candidates for the Watchman Flex device. It's people who have atrial fibrillation who need to be on uh, anticoagulation to prevent stroke, but can't take anticoagulation for whatever reason. One of the most common reasons is bleeding. People with gastrointestinal bleeding, people with bleeding in their brain, people with urologic bleeding. Other conditions where patients would be good candidates are people who fall frequently people who pass out, people with seizure disorders. There are a subset of people who cannot um, tolerate the medication, either from a medical standpoint or a financial standpoint. And also uh, some people in high-risk professions for trauma, such as our folks that help us in the military or law enforcement fields and can be at higher risk of trauma and would need to get off blood thinners for those reasons. So there's various reasons and you're local uh, healthcare provider or cardiologist or cardiac electrophysiologist can help you work through that. Very good. All right. Well, if you want to learn more about St. Joseph Health and the Watchman device, you can visit st-joseph.org forward slash watchman. And I hope uh, I hope that we can make sure that's included in the uh, episode description as well. So as always, thank you guys for tuning in and uh, we will see you next time. Thanks. Bye. <music>